What's up, y'all? It's Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show on Social Suplex Podcast Network. You're listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show. Listener discretion is advised at all times. For downloading and listening to another episode of the Ricket and Clive Wrestling Show, part of the Social Suplex Podcast Network. My name is Clive, and I am joined by my partner in crime, the Edge to my Christian, Jeff to my Matt. Uh, Sean Michaels to my Marty Janetti, although I don't want to be considered a, a murderer. Ricky, hello sir, before I say anything else stupid. Good evening, how are we? I'm a wee bit uh, brain dead today, I've started a new job this week and I've had a lot of Skype calls or MS Teams calls, talking about a lot of buzzwords, talking to a lot of Welsh people, shout out to Paul Tolley. Uh, yep. So... I'm struggling to think properly, but I'm sure with some coaxing, some prompting, and some salt and vinegar flavoured snacker jacks, I'll be able to muster up some conversation for you tonight, good man. I certainly hope so. It's part two of our AEW this time, ups and downs, and you're going to give us your AEW versus WWE pay per view. I will. I will have something to ask you when we get to that. Uh, it's a a technicality thing because we'll discuss it later yep so as you said there if you haven't listened to last week's episode we looked at the the top three or bottom three sort of hits and misses from WWE in 2020 which was quite a year for wrestling as well as out in the real world and this week we were trying to fit in AEW's last week but we would have ended up with quite a long podcast and this was late in the evening for Ricky and myself, so we thought we'll just squeeze out some more content, make next week a bit easy for us, because we've already got it planned. And we're going to look at AEW's 2020, give you our top three hits and misses, pros and cons, pluses and negatives, have a wee chat about them, and then move on to some fun towards the end of the show with some fantasy pay-per-views and a quiz. I wonder if Ricky will try and get his own back on me for... His apparent, apparently bad performance last week, even though he got 11 points out of 16. But we'll still see what happens there. It was a bad performance. In the, in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't, though. Yeah. It's the equivalent of having lots of bogeys on a round of golf, and then towards the tail end, you have about five or six eagles in a row. Is that a bad round? I mean, there's a lot of help with those eagles and birdies. Aye, as in like people picking up the ball and putting it into the hole for you. <laughs> no comment. No, that's what I said. Pretty much. Okay. 
Right. Well, we go with some happiness. In fact, before we go into some happiness, uh, Twitter wanker of the week. I was going to say Celtic. What? <laughs> They're just wankers of the week. Aye. Glasgow Celtic Football Club, get yourself together. Honest to God, what a shambles. But that's another conversation. That's for them. The Rick and Clive Ritz football show, which will be on the Overhead Kick podcast network, coming to you next week. <laughs> Twitter wanker of the week. Apparently, this is quite fresh content as well. Ricky, if I liked and likes a bliss, that qualifies me as a paedophile. Did you know this? Of course, of course, of course, of course that's of course that's true. Like, why wouldn't that be true? That's completely like um, a sensible thing to say, and it come from a very sensible person, hasn't it? And also, apparently, uh, because Impact was trending more on Twitter compared to the news of WrestleMania's the WrestleMania report, Kenny Omega is officially a bigger draw than WWE. And there is no two ways about it. It is not up for debate. As a, it is an objective fact. Were you aware of this point also? Once again, um, we need to consider the source and obviously take everything this person says as gospel. Mm-hmm. And I will take it as gospel. I bow at the feet of at M. Sidgwick, Walk Culture's own uh, Michael Sidgwick, who honestly, see at this rate, at this stage, I think these people are trolling for the likes and the numbers and the follows because there is no way that someone can be so so blind in their belief of one thing and disdain for another that they think it's a reasonable argument to be made. You will have all have heard from, of Mr Sidgwick now, making quite a name for himself as being an AEW blowjobber and WWE destroyer. He makes no bones about it. I'm pretty sure I've heard audio of him saying flat out on one of Walk Culture's YouTube shows that he wants NXT to fail at the hands of AEW. I'm not even paraphrasing. Some nice partisan journalism there for you, or analysts, if you want to be precise about it. He will always be a Twitter ranker. It won't just be of the week. And I don't think it would be fair to have him as a Twitter ranker every week. So I make a suggestion that we will call this the Sidgwick Award. The Sidgwick, Michael Sidgwick, Twitter ranker of the week. How do you feel about that going forward? I like that. It's kind of like um, One Nation Radio had the LeBron James Bum of the Week Award. <laughs> this will be ours. And it will be a picture. The trophy will be of... Um, Psycho Sid on top of a crushed car shouting Sidgwick. <laughs> so, if anyone's got any contenders for Twitter Wanker of the Week, let us know. Feel free to let us know privately if you don't want to draw attention to them with a wee at handle or just let us know who they are. And we will put it up for consideration and they will be in with a chance of winning that trophy, the Psycho Sid trophy. Hell, if you, th- if you think we're Twitter Wankers of the Week, then nominate us as well. Please do. Uh, Ricky's in a beef just now with Sir Sam and someone else about cricket, is it? Oh, did they reply? They did reply. <laughs> oh, let me go see what this is. So while she does that, I will, I'm will. i going to kick things off with the positives for AEW. And I'm not going to lie, 
I have not watched a lot of AEW. What I have seen, I have had mixed feelings about. Some of it has been a bit of what's the big deal. Some of it has been that was very impressive, and some of it has been, oh, for God's sake, here we go again. And I'll be honest in saying that I had to reach out to Ricky last week to say, can you give me some examples of the positives for AEW this year? Just for me to consider. Because at the time of writing, I only had one. Uh, And he did come back with a few, and I managed to flesh it out for three positives. The the negatives were a bit easier to come by. Again, I won't hide my bias here. But the bias is heaped on from other people, so it's fair game as far as I'm concerned. Would you would you like me to go first with the the positives for AEW? Uh, I'll go first for the positives, and you go first for the negatives. Okay, that's okay. Yes. Right, let me let me pull up my notes. Right. So the first positive. Let not let's not even beat around the bush here. Let's just go with the most obvious one, and that is John Moxley. Um, I know a lot of people think that he's better when he's chasing probably in that camp as well but this title run was every bit as good as almost anything he's done before If I think the only thing that might compare to it was that I'd put above it actually would be like a lot of the stuff that he'd done with Seth Um I felt that that stuff was like through the roof, but just in general, like when he's chasing, he it it he comes across better that way, and it's more exciting, and you kind of get behind him as well. But I felt this entire title run that he had, which lasted just about the entire year, um, it was what Feb to December, uh-huh. so. You know, it's pretty much the entire year. Um, so it was like the kind of back end of February. It was it was the last day in February, all the way through to the start of this uh, December twenty. <clears throat> and amongst those matches, he had some absolute fantastic matches. I felt the two matches with Eddie Kingston were really good. Um, the one on Dynamite was good, but I felt the I Quit match was just a little bit better. But they were both still very very good matches. I enjoyed the MGF one. Enjoyed the Darby Allen one. Um, the one he had with the late Brody Lee was good. I didn't really particularly like the one with Jericho. I thought it was just okay. Um, the Omega one was was actually really good. Um, I know some people had an issue with the ending or the finish to that match, but I didn't really. Um, and I know we're talking about AEW up and down, but this specifically is about John Moxley. Mox, he had a couple of uh, matches as well. A few matches um with New Japan, he had the two obviously at Wrestle Kingdom, uh, but he had one with um, Minoru Suzuki at New Beginning. Uh, when was that? I think that was like kind of the start of Feb, might have been the first weekend in Feb uh, for the IWGP United States Champion- Heavyweight Championship, which was another really good match. Uh, I said, I know that wasn't technically an AEW, but John Marks as a whole, the way he was presented this year, the way he came across, and a lot of his promos and more importantly, a lot of just about the vast majority of his matches were all either like they all range from pretty good to like borderline great. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say that was an easy first pick for me. I'll be honest; it wasn't really in my consideration. I think I I hold that belief that 
he's better in the chase, but I've probably been conditioned that way because of his WWE stuff and even in AEW. I just found it a bit more entertaining when he was chasing Jericho than after the fact. Um, a lot of his stuff, the matches, there's quite a lot of hardcore matches that were going on in there and he's already got a bit of a reputation for just being the hardcore match guy. And for, because of that, nothing stands out, if that makes sense. It all kind of meld, merges into the one. His promo work's very good, though. His promo work does stand out. The stuff with Eddie Kingston talking about um, his reference was made to Eddie Kingston's family. That was really personal. It stood out a lot as well. But I think the feel-good factor that AEW fans had because John Moxley, whether you agree with him or not, he felt as if he had to make a statement when he left WWE. He had to look after himself. He was clearly not in a good place, I don't think. He's, when you were listening to his rants on Jericho and other podcasts and interviews, I don't think he was in a healthy healthy frame of mind. seems like over the course of his title reign, Either he was just being quiet about it or he was just starting to feel a bit more normal again, feeling like the John Moxley of old. And if he's happy with how he is, I can't fault him for that. But it's, it's just, it wasn't really in consideration for myself, but I, there's no faults in what you were saying there. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. No, um, I was looking back at my notes here. Yeah, like I say, for me overall, I felt it was a pretty, pretty great year. Um, interested to see what happens now with him in 2021, but um, like I say, it's from, from start to finish, I thought it was a pretty flawless year from him. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like, I, I know a lot of people feel otherwise, but I feel like he's still Dean Ambrose, but turned up slightly. And I guess that's somewhat of a different character uh, in a sense. Um, but like I said, he, he still has a lot of the old Dean Ambrose tropes and traits, etc. Um, apart from the stupid gas mask stuff, but earlier on. Um, so, but I think he's a bit more intense. Like Ambrose would sometimes come across as very, very intense, but at the same time, he'd come across as almost aloof at times. Uh-huh. Um, but I think Mox is just like constantly now in, intense. Um, but like I say I thought it was a pretty flawless year from him. That's fair enough. My my first positive of the year was the the whole Hangman Page stuff. He's one that stands out for me. Uh, there's a there's a character I will say I could do without all the alcohol stuff. I just don't see the point in it. But the carry on that he's had with Kenny Omega winning the titles at the start of the year, I believe, the tag titles. And there's always been this will they, won't they between them. And that kind of that never really came to a head officially because it, they fought each other at the the title, the title tournament they had. It was at the last pay per view, I think, in December. I might be wrong there, but Omega and Hangman have had this really interesting dynamic over the course of the year, where they don't want to be together, but at the same time they work really well together. And their tag team title matches with the Young Bucks and then the FTR, they're well lauded, well critiqued by many. But I think. Adam Page on his own 
he's got a good look, he's got good music, he's got a good it's just the the um, buckshot clothesline that he does, very impactful and it's like a nice exclamation mark on the end of a match there's not much for me to dislike about Adam Page and there's the way they're booking it with him, the way they're presenting him, it's a very slow build for giving him the sympathy vote, making him the undercard, and he's always he's always the outsider when it comes to Kenny with the elite. He's always the outsider when it comes to Kenny with the Bullet Club. Uh, he's always just on the fringes of things, and they don't really take his feelings into consideration. So you you naturally warm to Hangman Page through it all, and I just think the what they're doing there if intentional, has worked, because I just want nothing but the best for Hangman Page. I want him to challenge for the titles, I want him to break free from the shackles of the elite and the Bullet Club shite, and just let Rip rip into folk, and then eventually, somewhere down the line, challenge for the title. So, definitely, I think, okay, there's been losses and wins, but that doesn't really matter. It's all about the story arc, and I think Hangman Page had the best story arc in 2020 for AEW for me. Yeah, um, the hell was it? <clears throat> held the title for about nine months, so mid start to mid Jan all the way through to September before they dropped it to FTR. Um, like I said, the match with FTR was really good, as was that match with the Bucks, which is one of the matches of the year. <clears throat> um, obviously, Kenny Omega and that number one contender tournament they had going on to challenge Mox. I think they might come full circle in a sense where it could be Hangman um, that beats Kenny Omega but at the same time there's almost Roddy Piper vibes to him because remember Hangman was the first one he, he main evented the first ever AEW pay-per-view with oh. Jericho but didn't win it um, gets a number one contender gets to the number one contender match, doesn't win it. Um, you know, so it wouldn't surprise me whatever way they go. But I think he's a favourite of a lot of people from like when it comes to like the elite in the bullet club. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say he's interested same with Mox, I'm interested to see what kind of direction to take go with uh, lost to that. And not quite um, like being given that opportunity. Uh-huh. Um, so, like I say, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. But another, like I say, it was, a, it was a good year. He was involved in several, several good matches. And like I say, the entire gimmick and how over he is with the crowd. Um, uh-huh. Like I say, he has been for a long time now. And of course, let's not forget the horse as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh... So, your turn then for the next one. My next one is Kenny Omega. I think my first two have been somewhat obvious in a sense. But Omega, similar reasons to to um, Hangman, obviously was part of that tag team, winning it at the start of the year, defending it in several good matches, uh, for losing it to FTR. Um, I said there was... It, it was months of storytelling obviously where Kenny was going through things were going through some changes etc and they brought the cleaner gimmick back before ultimately teaming up with Don Callis and Impact etc to win it um, 
first time he's won this AEW world title as well. Um, so it was it was obviously going to happen at some point. Um, I know some people have like an opinion on whether or not he feel they feel that he's still where he was even just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I think. I think he's been involved in in so many great matches this year. Um, like I said, I absolutely loved, and I know. Sorry, last year I know the Ray Phoenix match took place on January fifth or sixth or whatever it was. I know it's twenty twenty one, but I thoroughly enjoyed that match. I enjoyed the Adam Page match that they had at full gear. Um, like I say, is the FTR match was really really good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Um, the bloody was that called the uh, the kind of gimmick match you had again with uh, in a circle? What was that called again? Stampede. Yep, um, was a really enjoyable match as well. Um, like I say, is in that in that match against the Bucks was simply sensational. They also had a a match not too long after they won the tag titles against um, Pentagon and Phoenix. Which is a really good match. So, like I say, for someone who, well, I know he's been featured prominently, and so he should, but it was still nice to see him almost be on that mid cardish, or even if it's an upper card of the tag team division, it doesn't really make a difference. He wasn't like the sole focus of the entire company kind of thing. So it was good to see, and as you say, it built up over a year what was going to happen with him and uh, Hangman before he ultimately, you know, went full on heel. Uh, and let's say I don't. I know some people don't like the whole thing. With Impact. I'm intrigued to see where it goes. Um, some of the things. Hmm, I don't really know how I feel about the the fake Bullet Club reunion. Um, and I know people are going to be well. Um, Anderson's in it, and he was in the very first one, etc. But you know, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, let's say overall, Omega. I felt well, another another great great year, and I think I think for me. Like, if people are saying that he's not quite where he once was, well, he's still better than, like, 99% of the wrestlers out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I still really enjoy watching his matches. Uh, I think he's I think, I think he's absolutely terrific. I think it's a case of where he once was. It's a hard one to really quantify because where he once was was in New Japan and it took him a long time to get the title the world title in New Japan and then and I'd say it it didn't feel like a memorable reign that he had at the top and he lost it in a sort of a bitter rivalry with Tanahashi so I don't think I don't know if I buy that to be honest with you it wasn't as good as it once was because the tag team division has been prominent in AEW the whole... But again, I don't know if that's... Sorry to cut you off. I don't know if that's like a a general consensus or if there's very few people are saying it. Just I think it's more so that it's in the minority. A lot of people are saying, that, oh, he's not quite what he was. And I've saw plenty of takes of that. But again, like I don't know if people are trying to be cool and edgy and making statements of that. So, so Caleb, you know, like... <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, I've not... Like I said, if you feel he's, he's, um, he's dropped... A notch slightly, but let's say he's well, he's still better than so many of the wrestlers out there. Um, so uh, that was all. Oh, so you mean from a a physical standpoint, better? 
Or star power? Oh, physical. I think the star power thing is very difficult to judge, I think, at times. Aye. Um, because, look, see, at the end of the day, like, I think if you had, say, let's say you had Tanahashi, or it could be Okada, or it could be Ibushi, or it could be Suzuki, or whoever it may be, and you put them in a street, like in the middle of Tokyo or something, I would assume they would be extremely, extremely well-known. But I think if you put someone like, not so much Omega because he's obviously been there, but if you took, say, let's say, I'm just trying to think someone who's relatively big in WWE, well, it could, even if you put someone like Drew McIntyre in there, for instance, or even if you put um, maybe even Seth Rollins type thing, I don't know, like, you just don't know how they would be perceived there. So I think it's difficult to tell when you talk about star power because when you look at guys like people who are in New, in New Japan, well, if you put them out in mainstream America or over here or whatever, would they get noticed? But again, how many wrestlers would get noticed just walking down the street? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like, so I think there's very rare cases where if you have someone, say, walking down Buchanan Street or walking down Broadway or whatever it may be, that people are going to be like, oh, my goodness, that's Kenny Omega or, oh, my goodness, that's Drew McIntyre. Like, Drew would probably turn heads just because of the sheer size of him. Mm-hmm. But that might just be about it. Um, as opposed to, I think, if you really... I think the two truly elite... Um, mainstream, just just proper big time stars are Chris Jericho and Brock mm. and there's an argument to be made that Brock's name and I, I don't think it's an argument to be made I think it is the like big argument and the main point is that Brock's more known because he was UFC Brock uh-huh. yeah there was a hype coming into UFC but his star power on who he is was more so because of what he'd done in UFC and then he went back to WWE, but it's still, you know, he's still Brock Lesnar, he has rare case, and I think Jericho, because he's been along for so long and and he's done different things, mm-hmm. I think he's maybe a bit more noticeable and the next person comes to me would be Roman. But again, it's difficult, for me personally, I think it's difficult to judge star power because how many people would actually notice these people? Yeah, in terms of... So if in terms of overall stature, I don't really buy the thing that he wasn't what he once was and I think if we're talking about like match quality you need to bear in mind that when he was in New Japan he was wrestling the same people for years and years and years a lot of the people in AEW might not have wrestled before and it's just he might just not he might not be one of those wrestlers who can wrestle a broomstick and he needs to develop a chemistry with them so I'm sure that might come in time because he's also been a lot of it's been tag team work with Adam Page so maybe it's just a case of he's not re- met the right opponent yet because they can't all be they can't all be Okada, they can't all be Ibushi. No, but I also think that that he's had some truly great matches this year, though. Well, when I say this year, I mean like in the last twelve months. Mm-hmm. Singles at that, I thought the mm-hmm. Hangman was excellent, Top Marks was excellent, and again I know it's twenty twenty one, but the the Rufinu film was excellent. Um, and let's not forget his Steve Jobs uh, performance when AEW Games was being introduced. Yeah, 
That's true. Yeah, so I think, like I said, I think he's had a great year. Um, well, but like you said, just going, talking about the star power, I think it's it's difficult to compare mm-hmm. because then no matter what anyone thinks, wrestling's still a little niche little thing. There's you know not many wrestling Enneagram and like in in terms of the general population of the world, you know. There's not very many wrestling fans. No. Yeah, there's thousands of go to events and stuff like that, but it's still niche. Uh huh. Well, you'd mentioned the stadium stampede match, and that has made my list for positives. I know it was just one night, and it was a long time ago now, but one of the things I'm not a fan of in AEW is the the humour that they have. It's kind of frat boy humour, and it just seems a bit immature for my liking. But I think they fully embraced the nonsensical and the just ridiculousness at the stadium stampede with Adam Page coming in a, in a horse, the showdown in the bar, the Northern Lights suplex from one end of the football field to the other. Just utter nonsense. You've got all the... They're charging at each other. They're wearing the football gear. I really enjoyed... This was at the start, kind of the start of the pandemic where everything was closed down and it was just a balls to the wall chaos that put a smile on the face apart from Matt Hardy's nonsense in the pool but everything else really enjoyed I've not really got much to add about it I think Stadium Stampede's been talked about a lot over the last uh, six or seven months and I know you, you weren't a massive fan of it but I think during that time in my life I just wanted a wee smile on my face and they certainly gave that to me that night I think for what it was, and if you don't take it serious, it was brilliant. It was great. Hilarious. Um, bear in mind, like, you know, there was, during that sort of two, three, four month period, and I know people can say it wasn't a cinematic match, but it kind of was in a sense as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, were have, there were so many happening at that point. So for what it was, it, it, was, it was fun. It was funny. Um and even just like you say, the hangman thing was just like icing on a cake. I thought that was that was awesome seeing that that visual. Like you saw him in the background. Um, so everything, like I say, even like even other stuff like the 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 golf buggy thing uh, with Megan uh, Omega and Matt Hardy in it chasing Sammy Guevara about in it. Like just wee things in and around that time. Like it, it was quite fun. Uh, um, but like you say, it's I don't mind matches like that, but like I say, that period there was like too many cinematic or too many greatest match ever stuff going on and stuff like that. I'm like, you know, like I don't need to keep seeing it. Uh huh. It, it was also at the point where there weren't that many cinematic style matches, so they were still fresh, still fun to see. I think after a personally a short space of time, they got old very quickly. No, they did. I didn't see the the ultimate elite deletion thing or anything like that. I had no interest in that. Uh, the bronze Roman Bray Wyatt didn't watch that. Uh, there was some random shit going on between the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders, which was quite random. I don't even think it ended up being a match, but it's just and the Velveteen Dream and Adam Cole was just felt like fucking a Michael Jackson video when he was. The way you make me feel, videos. I was, fuck this man. This is terrible. 
But this was still at a time and it was still fresh and I enjoyed the, just the pure nonsense of it all. And of course, Kenny Omega's one-winged angel from about 30 feet up into a big bed of boxes was the icing on the cake, as you say. I think for me, uh, what it was, it was at that time it was still like early on in the pandemic, like for us, and there was a lot of like confusion for the both companies, mm-hmm. just in terms of how they're going to produce shows and stuff. And I felt a number of matches <clears throat> I was watching generally in the first like two or three three months of the pandemic, a lot of them looked overproduced and looked. Like they had been shot several times. It looked like a pre. A lot of them looked like pre-recorded matches, and I know they were, etc. And obviously, as was a boneyard match. Um, but I, like, it's, it looked too much like that. If you know what I mean, mm-hmm. it looked like no, that wasn't well done. We'll do it again. And you know, I felt like early on in the pandemic, like both companies should have really been producing five-star match after five-star match because you could have done that the amount of times you were shooting stuff. Technically, I. Um, Right, so my third and final up, I've went with the AEW upper tag card. All right. Not the division as a whole, the general upper three, four-ish teams. Like I said, it started off with Hangman and Omega. It then went from those guys having great matches, like I said, with the uh, Phoenix and Pentagon, it then went with FTR. I felt the way they were booked was really good. The way they started mowing through the division, making their way to the number one contender spot. I Meanwhile, the Bucks were still loitering and lingering about, but you always knew they would be a threat and obviously involved in that great match with Megan Hangman. And as soon as FTR got the titles right, then it just became a case of, right, okay, get us to FTR, FTR versus the Bucks. Um, and then obviously I thought that match was really, really good as well. Uh, we spoke about it, keeping it strong still. It was like little, subtle little things that some people might not have picked on, but a lot of people did. Um, just little callbacks done. And like I mentioned on the time, like FTR came out in the Boston Celtic colours and, and Bucks came out in the Lakers colours. The Lakers represent Showtime, which is, you know, Flash, etc., which are the Bucks and the FTR are just like, no, uh, no flips, just fists, gritty, just like the Boston Celtics were, or are in a sense. Um, so that's it. This isn't about the general tag team division itself. It's more so the way the entire upper card was booked, and I felt like Omega and Hangman was really good. Uh, and before we started getting little subtle little teases of who's turning on who, and now we're going to split up. What's going to happen? Hangman's being left out. Is he going to turn on Kenny? To then FTR coming in and just kind of destroying the competition like I didn't like that they lost the title straight away to Buck, the Young Bucks um, personally I wouldn't have had that match at that point I understand why they'd done it I just felt like that was the first significant challenge for FTR and they lost it that was the only issue I've had with the kind of upper tag team division booking um, but overall I felt it was really good and I felt all year that part of the card had a purpose and a direction. Uh-huh. So who would you classify as the top tier tag teams then? Is it just those three? I would say those three, but I think there's other teams 
who, when given the opportunity, can be pushed correctly and can look great. I, I love Private Party. Right. Uh, Pentagon and Phoenix. Um, I love those guys. Um, obviously, it was um, their name is escaping me now. Who won the first tag titles? Why is there? Why why is her name escaping me? Oh my goodness! What the hell was her name again? SoCal. Um, <laughs> right, okay. So I said, there's only been this is now just the fourth. Right. Uh huh. Um, but I still I liked I liked the booking of that tournament because all that all indication really like, oh, well, of course the boxer won a minute, but they never did. Um, and like I said, I just felt like that upper card, like all the matches generally for the tag title matches in, in, involving those teams and, and some other teams on the periphery was really good. Um, like I said, I think private party can be an excellent to watch um, and they can become like part of that elite group. Obviously, that elite group kind of is diminishing slightly, obviously, because we lost a Megan Hangman, but there's still other teams there, like, the, like private party, that can can take that spot once again mm-hmm. or take that spot from Omega and Hangman Do you think the the ranking systems have done well with the tag division or has it just been dominated or bottlenecked by those three or four teams Say that again sorry Do you think the tag division has benefited from this ranking systems they've got or has this just been dominated by storyline and those two or three teams I'm not. I'm not a fan of the whole ranking stuff and, and matches and wins and losses. If I'm honest, uh, purely because, like, uh, it's not quite like a boxing or a UFC um, tier. Just in the sense that the kind of in a way hamstrung themselves just by saying wins and losses matters etc and all that uh-huh. they do matter but you know there's been times where they've kind of gone against that and not given people the opportunity they should have gotten like I remember even like so when Darby Allen got a, a title match against Mox you were kind of so like so what did you do to warrant it in a way mm-hmm. um so there's been issues, but like I said, I wasn't a fan of it, the ranking system from the get go. Anyway, right. um, I don't think I don't think you need to do that. I don't think you needed to to really put a target on your back in that sense because if if you didn't dedicate yourself to it and if you didn't do it properly, then you're leaving yourself uh, to be criticised. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the other thing with the ranking system is that in boxing and MMA, just because you lose a title fight doesn't necessarily mean you're going to drop all the way down the rankings. In, in general wrestling terms, like, now we've got, for instance, we've got Roman and, and KO. We won't see KO challenge for a title again for a long time because we've kind of programmed ourselves to be like, well, you've had your turn, now you need to go back down the card and work, way, work your way back up kind of thing. Yeah. So it becomes fresh again at your challenge. Well, the amount of times people get um, immediate rematches, I know what happens in wrestling, but even guys just find they're gone and they come back and now all of a sudden they're going to be back in the title picture like Conor McGregor for instance 
Conor McGregor, in my opinion, when it comes to he's fighting this weekend against Dustin Poirier, and I think basically what's going to happen is if he impresses well enough, he's going to get the shot against Habib. I'm like, in what world, other than the fact that your name is Conor McGregor, do you deserve that? Because there's other people who are more deserving of it. Um, so, and that wouldn't happen in wrestling. So that's what I'm saying. Like, even MMA and boxing don't adhere to their strict um, ranking system, other than some of the boxing do, because if you're WBC, WBA, etc., if you're a mandatory challenger, you've got to have a fight, but you've got to make this, that, that mandatory has to take place within like a eight, nine, twelve month period. So you can still go out and fight someone else, but you've got to ultimately fight your mandatory at some point. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm saying. I just feel like you're hamstrung by it and you're hamstrung by it. And, and then also, like I say, FTR have just had a title shot, so it'll probably take them a wee while longer to get back into that title scene. So it doesn't seem like they're, half of, they're getting another shot, kind of thing, even though it happens in boxing and MMA. A lot often. Uh huh. Okay, that's fair enough. My my last hit, it will start off as a positive and is going to end up being in my first negative for 2020 and AEW in 2020. So bear with me and I'll explain myself. It is the positive or something that I enjoyed was Cody Rhodes' TNT title weekly challenge invitational, whatever you want to call it. Positives were that, albeit brief, it gave a lot of spotlight to those that are usually on dark, those that are even just in the independents that don't get seen on TV that much at all. It was just a good 15 minutes of fame for these wrestlers that, if it didn't last long, they were in the sort of conversation for a while, made, made some new fans, got a few more followers, some more merch sold. So from that side of things, Cody did help put some people over for a short time. The... It's one of those things, it's a guaranteed interest, just like John Cena's was in 2015. Listeners of the show will know that Ricky is a, a big fan of that time and wrestling with John Cena's Open Challenge. Big, big, he's, he's nodding his head, closing his eyes in satisfaction just now. So just from that... It was, remember folks, go back and watch those two back-to-back <laughs> raw matches you had with Cesaro. Absolute bangers. I may just re- like record that, what you've just said there and keep it as a separate segment and just put it in every week because you say it every week. <laughs> but they, oh, they were, they were excellent. But on you go, sorry. I mean, I can't really comment on the quality of the matches themselves because that is subjective and some of them were all right, some of them were just a bit naff. But I introduced Eddie Kingston to the masses with a very good promo talking about how um, Cody grew up like sorted for life in a way and Eddie Kingston had to fight literally to get where he was today so that was another positive from it and just from a storyline aspect you saw Cody acting like a bit of a dick in his matches taking time out to do some push ups not taking things seriously getting a rollicking off of Arn Anderson and slowly but surely you started to think Cody's this is a one of his slow heel turns here and it, it was boiling to a point like it's going to, he's going to snap, or he's going to, he's either going to snap on Arn Anderson, or he's going to snap on a wrestler after the fact. Instead of the handshake, the hot dog and a handshake, he's going to snap and just take someone out, and we're going to get heel Cody Rhodes. He'll rip up the verbal contract about him not going for the world title anymore. He'll be the American nightmare in nature as well as in name. But he was truly humbled by Brody Lee. 
uh, destroyed in a matter of minutes and him and his nightmare family were laid out. So it came to a, it was, I've heard, I'm pretty sure if people have referred to it as like the Red Wedding of AEW, where the main family just got ripped to shreds and left left out in the cold. So any sort of, any hint of Cody turning heel just disappeared entirely. Any any personal journey he was on was just squashed. So that was a positive. I thought that was a, quite a fascinating wee story they were telling. But now we go into the negatives. My first negative is that it, it was okay, yes, he's an EVP. AEW is most likely his brainchild, first and foremost. But 2020 has been the Cody Rhodes show. And oof, the... His his arm being raised by the the people he lost against the fireworks, the massive entry, entrances. It was the Cody Road show from that side of things. Um, in the space of, I'm I'm including 2019 in this. So in the space of 18 months or so, he had a massive feud with his brother that I wouldn't say nobody asked for, but it wasn't as if it was one that was in the top of everyone's list. He challenged for the title. He made sure that he would lose if he challenged, didn't win the title. He lost the opportunity to do that. He had a big betrayal with his protege. Uh, lost the protege match, even though so much, so much sympathy was laid on him. I mean, weapons, for God's sake. He lost the match for MGF. Nothing really came out of that. Had the TNT title tournament where it was obviously written in the stars that it was going to be him winning or him facing Lance Archer he won that he did the challenge he lost he came back with a new haircut or a hair dye he came back the next week with his hair dyed back he got a tattoo on his his neck after the new wrestling figures had come out he is at the He's the nexus, he's the sort of linchpin for all the new people coming into the building, including Sting. He's got to be everywhere. He's got to be doing everything. Uh, You could go on, but I think you get the point that, yes, he is an AVP and a lot of people adore Cody Rhodes, but you've got to share some of that love. You've got to share some of those moments to, with the rest of the roster because that is heavy duty narcissism there it's exactly what I was to say there he's a narcissist <laughs> um, like, don't get me wrong the name and and you want to talk about star power etc that like I get it but you, you he already started to get like a become real big household name in wrestling even prior to AEW right you know that's fine but when AEW came around that started that star power in the name started going through the roof and the fact that you were saying you were never going to use the name Rhodes and then all of a sudden the first opportunity you did you oh, used that, it yeah, that's something um, else anything anything to to tie himself into his father he'll do because he still can't comprehend the fact that he's his father's third favourite son well, let's and I've always said Dustin is number two and Triple H was his father's favourite son mm-hmm. um, 
And for our American listeners, in my opinion, like I don't like Cody. I think he has. He thinks he's greater than he is, and I think his in-ring wrestling ability isn't what he thinks it is. I'm not talking about promo stuff because he can talk. You know, he's he's fantastic in that way. But in the ring, and I say this in a tweet, and I say it before in this podcast, he thinks he's Alabama, but he's actually Appalachian State in the ring. And I say it to you, mm-hmm. he thinks he's Celtic, but in reality, he's just Sterling Albion. Oof. In terms of the ring. Sorry, I'll take that back. Not Sterling Albion. He's Air United. Shout out to Murray. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I say, I'm all here for criticising Cody. Cody. That whole stuff where he had fireworks going off after defending titles, you're like, oh, Lord. You know, like that... That was just ridiculous. Some of the stories that you heard about the whole uh, the fireworks incident with his dog and stuff like that, and he, he gets on at the pyro guy, etc. I was like, well, why would you have your fucking dog exactly. there in the first place? And why the, would you want the pyros there? The, the chair shot where the person who was in charge of the magic prop stuff got demoted or moved to a different role. That was your choice, Cody, again. So for him, in order for him to either get over or get sympathy, and it fucked up. Other people had to lose their either their some money or their position in a company. See, I'm just I can't. I struggle to watch it because his arrogance and self importance and narcissism just screams out from the TV. I'll give him credit where credit's due, though, because that TV TNT. Open Challenge was, was really, really good and we saw a couple of indie guys coming in and like you say, to challenge him and Eddie Kingston came in and was Darby Allen was one he, he had a match with as well um, so like I say, some of the stuff that he's been involved in, some of the matches he's been involved in have been really good like I say, he just has a a, a much higher opinion of himself than I think a lot of people do He's got he's got baby brother syndrome, and it's not Dustin, it's not Goldust that that's that's against. That's Triple H. Right. His father's adopted son. <laughs> right. My first one, and I could tie it into that point, but I'm not going to because I want to say this one first, just in case you say it because I only have three that I came up with, and I didn't bother coming up with a fourth one. Chris Jericho. Oh, Jesus. This has got absolutely nothing to do with his pro-Trump and pro-MAGA stuff. Like, none... I don't... Like, none of that. He's a piece of shit, right? We get that as a person. And I, and I think there may not be a person who was so loved that it's gone down in so many people's opinion this last sort of 12 months. In Jericho, Jeremy was on keeping the strong silver on it. and Jeremy said himself I think it's time you know we just admit it now and say it Jer- Jericho's washed mm-hmm. in ring work not been a fan of whatsoever in a long time now um, even the start see now I just find him irritating when he speaks some of these promos where he's just screaming like when he's on a commentary it's just like going. can you tone it down or can you just shut the fuck up we don't want to hear from you like 
I think he's well and truly washed as a wrestler and a performer. And in my opinion, I think it's only a time, it's only a matter of time, I think, where AEW cut ties with him. Oh, really? I think because of his political stances, I think there'll come a time where he'll say, your star power is no longer required here. We've got what we wanted out of you. At which point he'll probably go running back to Vince. Like, he's done as, for me, as a credible wrestler or a credible threat to any possible world title match uh, or anyone on that that tier. Um, he isn't even in the tier below that. He's in that well and truly stuck in the mid-card stage. And at some point, he'll, he'll start really being one of the guys that put the younger guys over. I think he is starting to do that with MJF and all I, 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 I think more so like taking proper queen losses and that'll just be his role. Okay. Before they ultimately, I think... But I think it's, may, it's maybe people say, oh, I don't see that happening. Maybe, and maybe it is a hot take or not. But I think that's what they'll use him as. And I think one day, I'm not saying soon, I'm not saying this year, but one day they'll be like, you know what? We've had our use out of you. We no longer need you. Wow, that's a big, big, big hot take. That is the hottest take I've heard in a long time. Not going to lie. Because from a political side we'll of things, happens. I know he's outspoken with his politics, but the cans uh, have been in bed financially with Donald Trump, so it's not as if they don't hate Jericho's beliefs. You know? But I also think that, you know, just maybe some of the other wrestlers may not share that opinion. I can't imagine Cody would share the opinion and, and whatnot. So, like I say, um, we shall see and I think the whole when you had the Covid in September as well well I don't I, I'm not going to say much on that because they did obviously do tapings and stuff and I know I don't know if it was in an off air phone call we were having someone that basically says there was like a a 10 to 14 day stretch where there's no tapings done and if it just so happens that's when he done it or that's when he had to self-isolate and was like, that would be a massive coincidence but I don't know so um, that's why I'm not going to say too much on it because we, we just don't know Well funny you mention the coronavirus stuff and it brings me to my next point in a way so I'm going to use this as a first example a wee while ago when the coronavirus started taking people out, and I think it might, I might be wrong here, but it might have been when Apollo Crews had, they said he had a bruised back when he was off with coronavirus. Do you remember that? Yes. Mm-hmm. And around that time, JR, Taz, and I can't remember the, the masked commentator's name right off the top of my head. What is his name again? Excalibur. Excalibur. I was thinking Serpentico for some reason. Uh, <laughs> well, they're wearing a mask, you know. It's, it's not as embarrassing as my Josiah Williams Wally stuff a couple of weeks ago, maybe. That's you. true. That's true. That was brutal. You, he, oh, he was, folks, he was proper embarrassed about that. Uh huh. Like, red in the face. Yep. Oh, right. 
uh, after after an episode of Dynamite or something, when episodes were still being taped, JR, Taz and Excalibur were talking about WWE insulting fans' intelligence and how they don't just say it like it is. People know what's going on in real life. They should just admit it. And it, it might have been in reference to a, a, someone being injured and having a bruised bone, bruised spine, but when they were actually out with COVID. Lo and behold, we've had a couple of admissions from one of the Young Bucks and from Jericho that in around September time they had coronavirus. No mention of it until now. No mention of it on their TV. Uh, so that's the sort of... That's the sloppy shop comment coming back to the bite them in the ass. That's another example I had, the sloppy shop, because since then, oh, countless things have went wrong for AEW, either in the ring or online, or with their coronavirus outbreaks, not just exclusive to WWE. They've, I mean, this is terrible, right? But the, fu- the first thought I had when all the wrestlers were on the, the stage for the 10 bell salute for Brody Lee was where the fuck is the social distancing but I think that's just been conditioned into me uh, and that's not fair to be honest but it's not fair of me to pick up on that and on top of that no offence using Americans hat like you know you're use, use dumb as fuck <laughs> some of you some yes uh, yes some some and that's what, like you know. There's a reason why it's just fucking it's it's spreading like hell over there. Yeah. You know, like and don't get us wrong, we've got issues over here as well. But you know, we have a government that actually give a fuck about us. Mm-hmm. And you get fucking ricochet getting pat busted. Oh, for fucking idiot! Honestly, what a bunch of fucking idiots! Is it just so irresponsible? I know. It's not irresponsible. It's ignorant. Willfully ignorant, I think, is the issue. I don't think it's ignorant. I think the damn because ignorance suggests that you're unaware. I know, but willfully I, means I you're believe, like you don't give a fuck. Mm, I I would say that, that though. I think willfully ignorant is still being is still putting it too nicely. Okay. I think they just don't give a fuck, and they were like, "Oh, we don't care. We'll do what we like." Kind of like the team that think they're above the law. Oh, we're going to do this. Just for some context, the Glasgow Celtic football team usually have a winter break in hotter climes. And this year, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, where people aren't even allowed to go to the next county, they went to Dubai for a a training camp, but pictures emerged of them drinking beers at poolside. And they they came back with one of their football players contracting coronavirus. This player was in crutches before he went and is going to be in crutches for four to six weeks. It might even be months, I can't remember. So first of all, what was the point in him going? Secondly, do you know what? I'm not going down that road. So angry. Exactly, exactly. Um, But the point I was focusing in on is I personally think 2020 AEW had a PR nightmare. More often than not. You know what bothers me, right? And this is this is about AEW this segment, right? But it's also about just wrestling in general, right? See when we talk about how you know we should treat fans like don't be so ignorant and you know and 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 be real and be honest and stuff, right? 
do people who make those comments believe every single wrestling fan is between the age of like 18 and above? <laughs> 18 you, to 49? You, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like I'm going to sit down, my six-year-old son has just really started getting wrestling, right? And funny enough, his favourite is Roman Reigns, right? And, and before people start saying, no, I'm not conditioning him just to like WWE, he actually likes Sting as well. Uh, and he's been and he started talking about um oh what, what match he randomly watched a match on YouTube on his iPad and he was asking about it and I was like how do you know about that I've watched a match it was a match <laughs> who was it who was it who the hell was it again it was random as hell oh, I can't even remember now Tolly Blanchard match or something if it's <laughs> Oh, honestly, I can't even remember. But it was a, it was, it was an AEW match. I just can't remember it now. And I was looking at him. I was like, "How do you know that?" And so he, he, what he, he knows some people from AEW as well, right? Like I said, he knows Sting. Um, he knows um, Moxley. So he knows he knows a few from AEW as well, right? So how am I going to sit down and say, "Son, I'm not going, I'm not going to be ignorant." I'm going to tell you exactly what's happening here in wrestling. Like, he, you know, like he's ask he asks me why does um, why do these wrestlers why are they bad on the TV but they're actually good in real life? So that's the first thing you ask me when he sees a new wrestler, right? Are they good in real life though? Because I've told him Joe Coffey and Jordan Devlin and all that because they had these cards. Uh-huh. So, you know, this is my point. Are we going to? Are we just going to act like we're? the wrestling fans are a certain age and that's it so I get what people are talking about like be honest and just tell people the truth well no not really because they still want to maintain a sense of kayfabe for the younger fans yep. remember that was us like fucking 20 odd years ago I mean what if and people and people who people people who are now like say um, who are 50 years old we're probably sitting maybe thinking what we were thinking now is like oh I know this isn't really real or whatever it's scripted and stuff but I still like Honestly, it's like there's there's different demographics here. Like there's there's different age ranges of wrestling fans. Are not you know it's not just catered just for us. Uh-huh. You know, so see, when you think about bear that in mind. Imagine this is an example where there's a young young boy or girl who has lost a grandparent because of the coronavirus, and then they turn on the telly. And they say, um, Bailey won't be here this week. She's got the coronavirus, and that person, that wee girl, Bailey's her favourite, and she's just lost a grand, exactly. and she's wanting to turn like she's wanting some comfort. She's feeling sad, and she wants to watch some wrestling. And she finds out that Bailey's got the same thing. Her favourite wrestler has the same virus that her grand just died from. That's not going to go down well with them. Exactly. Like we can see through it, right? We can see through it. But the younger fans aren't going to, you know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's exactly what you've just said. People are out with like a kayfabe injury. It was like, well, probably they're, they're actually getting some time off, or they actually, you know, or they're just writing them off TV, or you know, we don't have anything for them, or we may have something going on. You know, the younger fan is just going to see, oh my god, someone Kevin Owens just battles Roman Reigns, and now Roman Reigns is hurt and he has to, like, you know, kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, so. And 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 to put it to put it in perspective as well, this whole WWE thing in terms of like whether they're PG and stuff and who their core fan base is. I've not let my son watch Randy Orton 
put the fiend on fire. I specifically told him, you're not watching that. And he would ask me, why? Is it because... Because the fiend's A man just... (laughs) Oh, he loves the fiend, actually. A man just put another man on fire. I will not allow you to watch that. So he knows he's not watching it, but he loves the fiend. The pair of them just kind of, for a a long time, would just put the fiend theme song on and then would just sit and listen to it. And I'm like, not even watching the entrance, they just love the, the, the music for some reason. And even though, like, part of it shouldn't and kill and all that, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what are they planning? Dad of, um, Dad of the year, Ricky. Oh, and they also love Finn Balor. Um, but like I said, Roman Reigns are favourite. And, and, and just to touch back on to the point we're talking about, be honest with the fans and stuff. You know, am I going to tell my son, oh, by the way, Roman Reigns wasn't wrestling half the year because of the coronavirus or because of the young family, or by the way, because he's a cancer survivor as well, so they didn't want to open himself up to that. Uh-huh. He would be like, what? It's, so, a, it's an interesting perspective that I hadn't considered up until now. And, and that's that's where I think maybe if you don't consider it, but I think if you do have kids and kids that are actually watching wrestling, I think you kind of realise and be like, I'm not really going to tell you everything about it I will lie slightly I don't have the heart to tell him that Roman Reigns is a heel because he loves Roman Reigns so and, and you just paint it slightly differently why is Roman Reigns doing that because he's asking people to to be nice and, and get along with him which is kind of true to like to side with him but I'm wording it in a way that makes Roman seem like he's still a good guy and these people are just saying no and not being nice to Roman even though Roman's a dick really mm-hmm. right now um, so, let's say that's there's a different perspective to what we see and what younger fans see, etc. Yeah. Um, well, I think being honest with the fans is is sort of the, my point that I'm bringing up because looking at all that, I took a wee note of stuff, and as well as Jr. and Taz and Excalibur talking about that, and it not maybe being the case that they're being honest with their fans, you get Jr.'s sort of ancient retrograde attitude towards women and now he sees them all the dodgy misogynistic comments that he makes you've got Taz talking about the sloppy shop Cody bringing up the chair shot again when nobody asked to speak about it Uh, Matt Hardy versus Tony Khan versus Rebby Hardy after Matt Hardy had the bad fall that time half the wrestlers not being able to take criticism on Twitter and shutting down when half of them themselves are kind of responsible for the culture that we've got just now with this us versus them mentality. The pandering pandering over ratings, um, Jericho's Sturgis rally. It's quite quite a lot, quite a lot of instances where I just feel as if the AEW heels as well, that whole thing with Brandy Rhodes taking a bit of flack and then just wiping her Twitter account because she couldn't handle the criticism. Just so many instances over the year where they made a hash of it, and I think it just gets glossed, uh, glossed over and brushed under the carpet half the time until next time. Not it's forgetting as well. The guy's name escapes me, but there was another serious injury that someone had when they were lying out cold in the middle of the ring for a while. What was that guy's name again? Is it Andrew? Um, I was actually. Do you, want, do you want me just to go to my next point? Because that was going to be <laughs> go for it. my second point. <laughs> uh, so the person you're talking about is um, 
Alex Reynolds. Alex Reynolds. And it was a match with Private Party. Um, give me a second, let me pull my notes up. Right. So, my next one is just general treatment of the talent. Like, behold, the, the two incidents that straight away come to mind is Matt Hardy and Alex Reynolds. The Matt Hardy one was absolutely disgraceful. Absolutely disgraceful. What I think might have been worse was the fact that they were making out that there was no issue whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They were making out like, ah, he's fine, he's fine, but he just happened to miss like four weeks of tapings or whatever it was. You know, his wife had to come out and call your bullshit out on Twitter. And then Alex Reynolds things like, that was disturbing because like getting dragged from one side of the ring to the other and it's like, Someone throw the damn X up, just just finish the match. You know, or do something. Go outside the fucking ring and do what you want to do out there. Meanwhile, you know, the medics tend to have him in the ring and, and safely remove him. So I think this whole... And, and don't get me wrong, I think Tony can... I think his heart and his intentions are in the right place. I really do. I thought the Brody Lee thing was, was terrific in the way yes. he treated his family. You know, shows his side to empathise with people yes. and sympathise that wasn't a good look those two instances, especially the Matt Hardy one where, where Rebby's got to come out and call bullshit on it and then you know you've got people like Dave Meltzer feeding into that bullshit narrative that uh, everything AEW do care about and, and look at the end of the day like we do make mistakes and maybe it was a mistake letting Matt Hardy carry on of course it was a mistake but What took place in the aftermath wasn't like a, a, just a genuine honest mistake. Oh, we screwed up. Like we thought he was going to be able to finish if we do it. But it wasn't even like we'd done like a, a safe finish or anything like that. Guy was wobbly as hell when, when, you know, properly went stiff as he hit the ground. So it was more so for me the stuff that took place after it, the denial of it, you know, and it took it is taking his wife to come out and say shit. So that's what I'm saying, like, you know, you don't just suddenly disappear off TV for about four or five weeks if if you were, quote-unquote, fine. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Matt, have, have you got anything else to add there? No. Right, well, speaking of Matt Hardy, him specifically, he is my third miss of 2020, AEW's 2020. And he left because... As far as we're aware, he was offered a sort of backstage role at NXT to help nurture the characters of the wrestlers there, play more of a hand in the creative booking, whatever you want to call it. But instead, he felt as if he had unfinished business and he wasn't happy with being dropped out towards the end of his contract and WWE moved on to AEW. And I think he's had a pretty bad time. I don't think it's worked out how he imagined it because, I think I'd said on Twitter last week, he has had more changes in direction than I have had hot dinners since he went to AEW. He came in as Damascus, uh, the guy with the drones, you know, all the broken mat stuff. Changing in between characters, the, the, back, the bad backlash with the drowning spot, then he came back. I think th- there, weren't, they weren't doing much with him, 
and then he was being a sort of manager for private party, am I right? And then he got involved with Sammy Guevara. That whole thing was a disaster from top to bottom. And you would have, you would assume that someone of Matt Hardy's age, when the journey was all and said and done, when the journey is all said and done, that Matt Hardy, an old veteran, would put over the younger talent, which is something that uh, WWE is criticised for regularly. But Matt Hardy was a one standing tall once that rivalry was over and done with where he regressed back to the broken characters for this elite deletion uh, obviously the concussion stuff set him back then he was normal hardy and then he's doing managing again the private party it just seems all over the place and I don't think it's anything like what he envisioned his 2020 would be yes coronavirus stopped him having a massive massive pop in front of a live crowd um, but this may be a bit unfair, but I think the creative direction that he's had behind his broken character, uh, a lot of that is to do with those around him because Grado, who has his own podcast, Grado worked in TNA around the time of the final deletion stuff and he said Jeremy Borash was doing a lot of that stuff. He did a lot of that stuff, uh, the broken deletion, all that carry on. And I'm just guessing, but Jeremy Borash was in WWE around the time when the deletion match happened with Bray Wyatt. And obviously, you can't fault WWE's production values, their standards. It's just top of the range in terms of the sports entertainment industry. And then the stuff that's happened at AEW, a bit subpar in terms of production values. So is it all Matt Hardy that's been involved with this? Because if he's been left to his own devices, it's not really coming up roses since he went to AEW. What are your thoughts on that specific point? Fair point. A fair point. I didn't realise the thing that Grado said about him. Um, if that's true, then that's, you know, it's looking like what he's saying has some weight to it. Uh-huh. So, I mean, Grado, I, said, I never didn't say Matt Hard. So, the Grado didn't say it in a, aye, Matt Hard had nothing to do with that way. He was just mentioning yep. that Borash was involved a lot. So, I didn't have any expectations for my Hardy going into it whatsoever. Um, it was more so mm, wonderful getting broken Matt back, you know, because I loved that gimmick in TNA slash Impact. Um, it's funny your point kind of almost ties, it kind of does tie in with my final point. My final down is Lance Archer, okay, Brian Cage, Miro. I guess I would say Eddie Kingston, but I can't say Eddie Kingston because I felt those just in that short time with Mox, like he was awesome. But those three specifically came in to much fanfare, especially the first two. What was the very first significant thing that happened to Lance Archer? Lance Archer was awesome every single time I that sort of like that 12 months or so I saw him in New Japan and I felt when he went there I was like getting to see this guy every single week this guy's going to be awesome looking forward to it what was the very first what happened in his very first significant match uh, he lost to Cody Brian Cage it, he was supposed to join but obviously suffered the injury like going back in 2019 it was 
or maybe even early in 2020, I can't remember now, comes in to much fanfare, much hype, wins the, like the briefcase, the, uh, whatever that, what was that bloody, the, the Battle Royal thing they have again, called, um, uh, the cat, it's not the cash in, is it? The hell's it called again? Are you thinking of the, the buy-in? The buy-in. Wins it, right? Okay, fine, you want to say that's his first significant. What happens in his first significant singles feud and match? Oh, the buy-in's not. That's the Royal Rumble type thing. I know the match you're talking about. The... I can't remember. I just can't remember what it was now. But what happens in his first significant feud or match? Uh, was that the one with John Moxley? What happened? He lost. Miro comes in. Oh, Christ. And where, what's he doing? The the treatment, especially of those first two, it's, I think especially Cage more than anyone. Why are you bringing him in to not so much feed him to Moxley? And I would never say bury him because, you know, I don't like that term. But why are you putting him in there with Mox? Why are you putting Lance Archer in the tournament if he's not going to win it? The way some of these people come in with the fanfare and the excitement and the hype just to fall flat immediately. Mm-hmm. Straight out the gate, you've hamstrung them. Straight out the gate, you've just deflated that hype. So that, for me, is my final point. The handling of some of these signings that have come in has just been poor. On the opposite end, the way the, the, FT, the way FTR were treated, I was like, that's perfect. That I thought, I genuinely believe the way they were booked was perfect. Uh-huh. They were, the way they were Lance Archer and Brian Cage were booked was appalling. No, so I, I think I've not got as much of an emotional attachment as Lance Archer and Brian Cage purely because I've not seen enough of them. The Rusev one, I, listen, he, that is a shadow of the former Rusev, and I wasn't even that big of a Rusev, man, Rusev fan. Yep, I was. You were? I wanted him to do well. wanted him to do well. Comes in and cuts that same shitty generic promo of how Stanford or New York's already done him wrong, blah, blah, blah. Your wife still works there. Shut your fucking mouth. Yep. And he leaves a love triangle to go to a love triangle. Come on. To be the spare partner love triangle almost comes in as somebody's best man. Like I say, the first two. And Rusev, like I say, for me, I was in love with Rusev, the Bulgarian brute. The tank is arguably the greatest WrestleMania entrance ever. Yes. Very, um, very strong case for it. The Rusev case stuff was awesome as well. I didn't really know what to expect in the AEW, uh, if I'm honest. Um, the Lance Archer and Brian Cage one, especially Lance Archer, I was just like, that's just terrible. But the Brian Cage one, that, that height was built for a long time, but he got hurt. And I kept him coming in and, 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 and he looked terrible against Mox, but he ultimately lost to Mox. That, that's it. He lost to Mox. His first significant feud, he lost to Mox. And it ties in with the FTR thing. The first significant defence you've had, they lost. And I'm like, I didn't need to see that. And this is a, also the problem with um, 
WWE do it as well. You know? Um, not striking when it's hot and stuff like that. And, and straight out of the gate, not doing uh, the correct booking, etc. So, but specifically to these guys, I felt that was that was very badly done. Very badly handled. I can't argue there. I, I, I'm not gutted that it happened because, as you say, as I said, not overly invested in them. What I saw of Brian Cage and Lucha Underground, he's a specimen of a man. Loves his, loves his, um, loves jagging. <laughs> loves his supplements. Do you know he's married or was engaged at least to the ring announcer for Lucha Underground? Was he? Mm-hmm. That's uh, devastating news, to be honest with you. (laughs) There's not so much an emotional attachment with those guys, not with Lance Archer anyway. It was just like, it's just badly done in my mind, like, badly done. There was a lot of hype coming in there. Lance Archer built his up for a long time where he was going. Um, Doing it straight out of the gate. He just deflate the hype machine. Um, Don't get me wrong. Just like WWE, just like NXT, there's ups and there's downs. Um, I'm not one of these people who are going to be like, AEW does 90% great or 90% wrong. Like I think it's relatively even, you know? Some shows are good, some shows are just like, mm. some shows are great, some matches are great, some things that happens in matches, are, you know, a lot in my show, a lot of stuff in AEW, it looks far too choreographed stupid spots but a lot of the same stupid spots you see happen in WWE and happen in NXT and stuff like that as well so I say there's there's a lot of good but there's also a lot of bad mm-hmm. just like there's just like with just about any other like soap or programme or whatever you might watch mm-hmm. yeah basically all wrestling is as good and as bad at times as each other is what we're saying yeah I want to give an honorary mention to the trios, the six-man tag stuff they do a lot, and specifically, now get this name right, because I said Jurassic Park last time, Jurassic Express. Uh, Jurassic Kingdom this time again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I enjoy them. I enjoy the interaction they can have with young kids. They just seem like a very family-friendly outfit. And I'm going to segue here and announce them as the first match in my pay-per-view for oh, the, Lord. the AEW versus WWE match. Went for a bit of uh, variety in my pay-per-view. I think they would have some real fun doing their six-man tag stuff with the New Day. Just think that would be a good fun match. Lots of fun spots. Uh, you'd have some standoffs between Luchasaurus and... In fact, is Marco Stunt in Jurassic Express? Yes, isn't he? <laughs> Do you not want that match? <laughs> no, I don't want that match anymore. <laughs> uh, but you had a. Did you not have like a a thingy? Uh, bloody! You said you had a. A question. You're going to speak to him about something, or yep? Right. Okay. I'll just leave Marco Stunt in. He can be taken out quickly be one of Big E's spears uh, but Jurassic Express and New Day next up 
another tag match and I want you to guess what my tag match would be only thing I'll ask you right it's not it's not Omega in Hangman no right so it's a current tag uh, is the WWE tag team are they a current tag team yes yes they are a current tag team yes I'll give you a undisputed clue. era no is it, any, is, it, is, it, is it NXT it is yes oh, I think I know this I'm surprised it's taking this, this long this is this folks I need to get this right this shows you how much I know you is there a certain individual in one of those tags from Liverpool oh there there bloody well is it's Grizzle John Verts versus FTR I'm right aren't I the most epic game of wrestling chess that would ever happen in the square circle I thought I thought for a second you were going to put Gargano and uh, Champa together and go DIY versus FTR again. But no. Grizzle Jung Vets, FTR, yes, fucking please. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry to cut you off. Folks, this seems like a timely, timely, timely reminder. See if you want to go see how you do that spot that someone's setting something up on the top rope and to not the other person is going to take the bump. Standing on receiving to so they don't look like a complete idiot just standing around staring at them. Go watch our boy Zach Gibson and the what was that tournament again? Was it World's Clyde? World's Clyde, yeah. Against Humberto Carrillo. Just go watch that spot that I'm talking about. That's how you do that spot. Zach Gibson, genius. Yes. And Folks, Grizzled Young Vets still one of the best tag teams in the world. Uh, I, I firmly believe that, and it's a it's a belief that I genuinely hold. Like I'll say it to anyone. Listen, GYV are the best, but FTR once upon a time were the very best as well. They wrestle a similar style, so you'd wonder if sort of defensive heels would work. But I think uh, Grizzled Young Vets have more of a, an attacking dynamic to them. There is the defensive tactics, but there's also the attacking tactics. And FTR like to be sneaky, uh, trip trip them up as it were. I just think, I just think that would be an absolute textbook. This is how you do a tag team wrestling match, and it would be fucking beautiful. It would fantastic pick. Well, thank you very much. Now, the next one before I start taking the piss, this one is a serious one, and I think it kind of ties in with their current characters, and it could work well where you've got Adam Page who's on the outside looking in he doesn't feel as if he's valued he's hitting rock bottom slowly but surely and who from WWE do you think would pick that person up and show them the right show them the right path and show them perhaps the greater good Seth? Seth Rollins and Adam Page ok I can get on board with that well I think I think they're both good at telling stories long term I think they're good at telling stories in the ring as long as Seth Rollins doesn't sell that fucking knee uh, we're laughing (laughs) they could have an excellent match promos would be excellent the story leading into it even in their current their current characters 
would be compelling enough for me to tune in. And I value Adam Page highly enough that I'd put him against one of my bays and Seth Rollins. So that's the so those three were the ones I'm like serious and being serious about. But the next two I'm kinda of taking the piss and showing my true colours here. So the first one would be Randy Orton versus Cody Rhodes. Not Triple H and Cody. <laughs> Not Triple H and Stephanie versus Cody and Brandy. But the form that Randy is on in the ring, on the mic, and behind the keyboard, Randy Orton has had a pretty untouchable 2020. And he would, in sort of Scottish parlance, he would rip Cody's a new asshole. In promos, the lot, he would bring up stuff about legacy, how that was just, he's not done anything for it. Don't tell me you would laugh at the treatment Cody would receive in that from Randy. Not at all. I'd be on board for that. Good, good. Right, the last one. Now, I have to ask, technically he's not signed with him right now. So am I allowed to have Brock Lesnar? Uh, I'll I'll allow it, I suppose. Right. Brock Lesnar in a gauntlet match versus... Sammy Guevara Dar- <laughs> Darby Allen The Young Bucks Taz Jericho and Jake Hager So you're starting off with the featherweights and working your way up but it's more of it's, it's a mix of Brock Lesnar just laying waste to some vanilla midgets like f 5 them out of their boots, German suplexing them back into uh, the bingo halls. And it's also a mix of people who are just arseholes as well. You've got the young bucks in there looking to um, copyright Too Sweet this week. Taz, his sloppy shop comment. Jericho, you talked ad nauseum about him. And Jake Hager for looking as uncomfortable in front of a camera as fucking... Uh, I don't know, Gary Glitter maybe if he was to be questioned today <laughs> uh, so Brock Lesnar's gauntlet match he starts it and he finishes it and just fucking walk, walks home after it <laughs> that's it that's my pay-per-view terrible order match card actually when you think about it is that how you would close it? Brock Lesnar just laying waste to everyone? aye WWE have gone gone down that route several times. I mean, this is this is the the same Clive who was just so apathetic towards the Royal Rumble match last year, where Lesnar was just destroying everybody in sight. But I would. But there was a pur- even though you didn't like it, and I, I, I don't know. want to sound like I'm defending it. There was a purpose to that though. I know and there the was. purpose was Drew, and Drew has had a beautiful year. A beautiful. That was year. the. That's a, that's a whole reason, and you, and you accept it. I do for that for what it was. But it doesn't um, make for good June in the first half. No, it didn't. But don't get me wrong; there were still um, little bits, and I know we're going way off topic now. There were still little bits in that uh, Royal Rumble during the Brock stuff that I actually enjoyed. Like I loved it when Kofi appeared. I was like, oh, here we go. This could be interesting. I mean, you lasted longer in your title match, which was shit. Uh, the introduction when you saw Brock, Brock looking at Keith Lee. 
I love the Sheffield Benjamin part. Like I thought that was yes, awesome. That was very good. Um, but yeah, I says that was all set up to for Drew. Um, but this has been a rather long-ish episode for us. Uh, the quiz might take a while, so should we crack on with it? We shall. Yes. Right, here we go. This is going to be similar, something similar to what you gave me last week. So it's just kind of like the wrestling year from twenty twenty. Okay. Question number one. Who eliminated Keith Lee in the Royal Rumble? Uh, now, I can picture it all happening. Bro- Braun, Les- Braun Lesnar. Braun Strowman and Keith Lee were fighting and Lesnar sort of threw them over at the same time. Yep. Question number two. At AEW Revolution... Which one of the Young Bucks took the pin? For God's sake, how am I supposed to know that? So, I mean, take a guess, it's 50 50, isn't it? Uh, Matthew. Correct. <laughs> yes. At WrestleMania, name the three participants that took, took name the three participants that took part in the tag team ladder match Kofi John Morrison oh shit who was the third team oh Jimmy Uso correct Okay, dog. It's good so far. Thank you. Question number four. Drew McIntyre's first title defence was against who? The Big Show. Correct. Oh, oh, yes. Yes. I'm so glad I didn't trip up with that one there. In WrestleMania again, in the SmackDown women's match for Fatal Five Way, name all five participants. With pleasure. Uh, they were. Lacey Evans, Bailey, Sasha. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sounds so confident as well. I know. Lacey Evans, Bailey, Sasha. Oh, shite. Natalia. And. Oh, Tamina. Natalia was incorrect. Ah, damn. Clue. The person's name begins with N. Naomi. Correct. Question number six. Be surprised if you get this. FTR defeated who in their debut match in AEW? Hmm. I'm going to say... Now, I don't remember which ones, but I'm going to say Jurassic Express. It was a butcher and a blade. It's the first wrong one. That's good so far. Question number seven. At TakeOver 30, what was a women's title match? Uh, Dakota Kai and Io Shirai. Correct. Question number eight. At, at, the ta- at Portland Takeover, 
What was the one gimmick match on the pay-per-view? It was a street fight between Dakota Kai and Tegan Knox. I can't believe Dakota Kai's been answering two of my questions. By the way, has she come out of that locker room, that locker yet? Did you see the last woman standing match? <laughs> Not yet, no. Well, she attacked Rhea Ripley backstage, Rhea Ripley battered her, threw her in a locker, locked the door and She's just... She's not been seen since. Did the, sort of, <laughs> the thumb to the nose and wriggled her fingers. Fucking brilliant. She's not been seen mm. since. Just like Mohammed Hassan is still falling. <laughs> Question number nine. At, in your, at the t- takeover in your house, mm-hmm. what were the stipulations between Adam Cole and the paedophile? <laughs> oh, a fucking... The Way You Make Me Feel by Michael Jackson reenactment video match. <laughs> it was uh, a parking lot brawl. No, the stipulation. Oh, uh, if Velveteen Dream lost, he would be arrested for paedophilia charges. Is that your final answer? No, if he lost, he couldn't challenge Adam Cole for the title again. Correct. You've nailed eight out of the nine questions. Oof. Get ready for this one. This is a, an absolute pelter. This isn't even classic, Ricky. This has gone beyond classic, Ricky. Question number 10 is worth 13 points. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Man. Name every WWE pay-per-view in 2020. If you want, you can do it in order. You don't need to. That's salacious. Right. It is. Right, so I'm going to, straight away, we'll give you the big four. The first, we'll give you the big four, straight out of the way, right? right. So, Royal Rumble. Yep. WrestleMania. Yep. SummerSlam. Yep. Survivor Series. Yep. Elimination Chamber. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say Fastlane yet, because I can't remember if that happened. Extreme Rules. Yup. Payback. Yup. Clash of Champions. Yup. Hell in a Cell. Yup. TLC. Yup. Money in the Bank. Yup. We'll get two more. Oh no. Uh, Money in the Bank. Oh. They didn't bring back Stomping Grounds, did they? Stomping Grounds? Nope. Fastlane? Nope. Are you counting WrestleMania as two nights? No. Ah, shit. There was a month where they had one pay-per-view and then they had a pay-per-view like the following week. I think you might have already said that pay-per-view. Okay, are we... Maybe you haven't, I'm not sure. Are we include, including Super Showdown? Correct. That was technically a pay-per-view, even though I don't want to include it. I've got last one now. Right, so we've got Royal Rumble, we've got Elimination Chamber, we have Super Showdown, WrestleMania, Payback, Backlash... Correct. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, you that was a true WWE homer. Oh, aye, <laughs> big time. 
<laughs> uh, that was the greatest wrestling match ever, that one, Backlash, wasn't it? Yep. Fantastic. 13 out of 13 there. You got every single question right for the FTR one. And four-fifths of the Naomi question right. Well, you got... I'll give you the point for it anyway. Where is Fantastic she? Is she, is performance. she off telly? So again? Is Naomi off TV? I have no idea where she is. She might have been... Who knows? No, I, I can't remember the last time I saw. If, again, I can't really remember the last time I watched Raw. If we're doing a Royal Rumble preview next week, we need to really start watching the main roster. Who? Us. <laughs> no, we don't. We'll just talk about the two Rumble matches and the two title matches. Uh, and then whatever else. And what was I going to say there? Without telling the, the listeners why, I'm guessing you'll be wanting to record a day before the normal release date. Yep, Tuesday, because Wednesday is my birthday. <laughs> Don't really care about the birthday, but I know my boys now probably want to do the cake and whatnot. Your boy Ricky turns 34. I don't. I don't mind my birthday. But, but I just like getting a, it. That's 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 because your birthday is not on a podcasting day, and somebody's birthday's coming up in a few days' time. <laughs> yes, that's correct. <laughs> uh, that's mine. You can send me the uh, PayPal. Send us some fucking money. <laughs> Aye, on the donation page. Uh, but what was I going to say? Do you know? I realised in this last few last couple of weeks, sitting down my son watching wrestling mm-hmm. that I says a few weeks ago if Goldberg wins I'm done I'll stop recording and I'll stop watching another empty promise I don't promise. know say that again another Ricky empty promise uh, I think I will but I probably still need to read the results so I can keep him in the loop mm-hmm. but I won't watch I just <sighs> I mean, you could always convince him to use his pocket money on a network subscription. I could. I could. I, honestly, I want to continue watching. I really do. Like, I enjoy watching NXT. I like watching SmackDown. I know people are going to be like, well, why don't you just watch New Japan AEW? Well, I can't then do the podcast with you. And even at that, I'm just like, oh, I can't be fucked. And then the good thing is, the exciting thing is that you just come off Twitter. And you don't need to listen to people like fucking Cedric and all these other idiots. I keep thinking you're saying Cedric. I was like, what's Cedric Alexander done now? <laughs> so, so basically, there's birthdays. Give us money, and hopefully, Ricky doesn't go back on his word from a few weeks ago. That's up to Vince. Please don't do that. Uh, I'm going to be my wrestling headlines column this week is going to be specifically about the McIntyre Goldberg match, and is it is it all doom and gloom or is it a sign of good things to come? What? <laughs> you looked as if you had a stroke there. Like it is doom and gloom. Speaking of wrestlingheadlines.com, no, in fact, I won't because that's not public. Uh, I'll leave that just now unless he's mentioned it or she or they pronoun pronoun uh, what's that word I'm pronoun aware people 
<laughs> I would have put that in my Twitter bio, pronoun aware. <laughs> Our Twitter bio. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. Let's do the, the plugs and we can get out of here. Yes, we have been the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find other shows such as One Nation Radio, Keeping It Strong Style, Grown Men Watch This Shit, Great Match Generator, All Things Elite, 8-Bit Suplex Podcast and Grave Consequences. Rate and review us on the podcast app of your choice. Spread the word. Uh, You can go over to socialsuplex.com. You can find those podcasts. You can find the columns that we write. You can get them sent directly to your email inbox if you press subscribe. We are on Pro Wrestling Tees. You can get t-shirts there if you head over to the Social Suplex page. We also have on our show notes donation links, URL links to send to donate. If you want to, you know, help us buy a webcam or just send us money because it's our birthdays coming up, stuff like that. Uh, stuff like that, uh-huh. <laughs> I went blank. Yes, uh, we are at Ricky and Clive on Twitter and we are perpetual Twitter wankers so follow us there I've missed something haven't I? Uh, not sure well I'm sure I'll hear about it from someone I don't think so ok uh, I officially apologise for insinuating that Stephanie McMahon is a paedophile last week. I take that back. <laughs> that was so random. I know. I thought I should get it out there just in case something happens, you know. Right. Thanks for talking to me this week, Ricky. And you. And thanks for listening to us this week, listeners. And we'll speak to you next week where we talk all things Royal Rumble. Good night. Take care, folks. Thank you for listening to the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Podcast. We'll see you next time. See you next time.